Well, it's great to be with you again. What a treat to come back to a place I had a small role in seeing uh, come together. Uh, we sang a few minutes ago, He Leadeth Me, and um, I've seen my life bear testimony to that as I've walked through different stages of ministry. Um, I retired a year and a half ago, and you know what you do when you retire, right? You kind of travel a little bit, and you move, so we kind of gotten relocated here and left Bluffton where we were, and then you sort of go back and you look at what God accomplished through your career, so to speak, and there's always a set of dreams you hope will happen, and some of them don't, but others do, and you remember how God used you. And I've seen him lead me again and again and again through all kinds of challenges. Down in Bluffton, I ministered primarily to an older community. The Sun City Retirement Home was there, so we had a good number of older folks who were all from up north. Talk about a challenge, culture shock. My wife goes to the ladies' Bible study, and 20 ladies are there, and they say, how many of you are from South Carolina? She was the only one. 19 out of 20 were from Connecticut, Pennsylvania, and other foreign lands that needed, uh, needed some help, but uh, we had a lovely time there, and then before that we were here, and um, started in a little small church out on the uh, island, and then came here, and God uh, just did some amazing things to put this building together, and then... Uh, before that, we were in Winthrop. I was doing college ministry with Reformed University Fellowship, and God used us there in some great ways. I was kind of reliving the college days through the experience in the eyes of Elizabeth Elliot. You all know who Elizabeth Elliot was. She was a missionary who, along with her husband Jim, went to Ecuador late 50s, and tragically her husband and some of the other men were killed by the Alca Indians. So she kind of became famous through that. But if you want a good book to read uh, late summer here, uh, read Becoming Mrs. Elliot. And how that ties into my college years, she talked about going to college and how it was a both thrilling experience and a terrifying experience. It was thrilling in the sense that she left her little small town in Florida where the options among men were quite limited. And she went to Chicago and Wheaton uh, uh, University where lots of vibrant believing, believing men were. And she dated a bunch of them. So it was thrilling to get to know different guys, right? And she enjoyed them. But nobody really captured her heart in terms of really pursuing her to really know who she was. And she longed for being deeply known. Now, one guy in particular, everybody said, y'all look great together. And she said, I want to do more than look great together. I want to be greatly known and loved. And then she met Jim. And Jim 
grabbed a hold of her quickly and they spent hours together and he kept pursuing her heart and who she was. How do you see this? Where are you going? What do you want to do with your life? Tell me what, who you are, Elizabeth. And whatever she would say, he would pursue it. Well, tell me more, tell me more, tell me more. And so she, of course, was just finally enraptured by him. And then as they were engaged, it moved from thrilling to terrifying. Because you know what happens when you get married. The carefully managed image that you've projected in the American dating scene, the pieces of yourself which are less flattering, and I'm talking about far more than just the physical, you can't hide them anymore. And so she became terrified that if she was fully known, she'd be rejected. Well, the direction we're going today, if you struggle with that question, the idea of God's omniscience, is it a source of terror to you? Or is it a source of exceeding comfort? that you can trust that God can know everything about you and still love you. That's where we're going. Let's see what the conclusion is of the psalmist as we work through this in Psalm 139. I'm working out of the New International, a couple of places. It smooths some things out, I think, in a helpful way. So let me read. Oh, Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely. Oh, Lord, you hem me in behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me and your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me. And the light become night around me. Even the darkness will, be, will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day. For darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O oh God. May we pray. Lord God, we uh, are before a lovely, lovely passage of Scripture. And perhaps most of us have drawn some great comfort here, but we believe this morning there's more to be had, 
more to be feasted on, more to be thrilled by. And if there is some measure of fearfulness at your omniscience, drive that out today as we learn from this portion of Scripture. Give us the full freedom that you've promised your children, freedom from fear. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. All right, God clearly knows everything about us, right? He knows all of our actions, the outward things which are publicly visible. He knows all the things we do in private. And then he as well knows everything inside of us, right? All of our thoughts. He knows them before we even think them. Okay, now clearly, if you are in disbelief, if you're not walking with Christ, that should terrify you. Rightly so, because we are going to have to give an account for how we've lived. Have we lived it in obedience and submission to God? Or have we been rebels in every act and every thought, some expression of rebellion from him? And of course, the way to initially get rid of the idea of God's omniscience being a terrifying thing is to simply come to the Lord Jesus Christ, admit what you know about yourself and what, trust me, he already knows. And he's just waiting for you to admit what's obvious. You need him for the forgiveness that can only come through the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. So right at the outset, if you're of the unbelieving angle, please don't wait another day and come to faith in Christ. Ask him, to forgive you. He already knows everything about you. That knowledge should draw you to Christ. Come and don't delay another day longer. Now, to the believer, while we know this theologically, the idea of God's omniscience can still be a little bit unsettling or terrifying to us, right? Because we continue to sin. And we wonder, how long will God put up with us? How long will he bear with us when we're still such a mess? David reassures us, indeed, that there is a wonder to behold in fully being known. Instead of it being terrifying, it can be thrilling. So look what he says in verses 1 through 6. So, Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O oh Lord. You hem me in behind and before. Okay, he's talking about the wonder of being fully known. And he resorts to what? Poetry. All right. Why does he resort to poetry? Why didn't he just say in simple terms, God knows everything about you? That's technical, right? And it is theologically correct. Why does he go to poetry? Well, he is using a literary technique here. You guys probably know more about this than I do, called a merism. A merism is a... Is a um, literary technique that expresses totality by focusing on two opposites. Okay, you know this, you've heard this all along. Um, 
Uh, how much are we saved? How much are we forgiven? And the psalmist in Psalm 103 says, your sins are forgiven as far as the what? East is from the west. Okay, there's, you, you can't get any farther apart than those two. And, and here, that's what he's saying, verse 2, you know when I sit, sit, and when I rise, let me get my emotions right, uh, you discern my going out and my lying down, verse 5, you hem, hem me in behind and before. All right, I'm not just trying to play fun narrative games here. But we've got to have something beyond the technical and the theological that is warm and beautiful. Because that's who God is. He could have resorted to a technical definition of God's omniscience, God knows all things, but it's like resorting to a technical definition of what is a kiss. What is a kiss? Two individuals of the Homo sapiens species approaching one another where the epidermis surrounding their mouths comes into contact with someone else's epidermis with varying degrees of pressure and varying degrees of time. Does that warm your heart any? It doesn't warm mine any. I don't know what your definition of a kiss is, but you're in big trouble if that's what it is. (laughs) And we want to depict God as something more than just theological and technical because that leaves him in the abstract. And we need something personal and warm. And he is warm. This is personal. He says, you know, my thoughts... You know, when I sit and when I rise, God as our lover has a loving knowledge of us. We need it to go beyond the abstract and personal. Excuse me, the abstract to the personal. And furthermore, we need it to go beyond the educational to the worshipful. What's the purpose of us being in here and somebody up here like me? Just Am I here just to educate you? No, I'm supposed to. It starts with the mind and with some warmth and some illustration. It's supposed to move into the heart where there's some warmth. And then usher out in the way we live. The worship idea if we rightly understand God's full knowledge of us, it can drive us to worship. That's why he says in verse, uh, verse uh, 6, your knowledge is too wonderful for me. This knowledge that you know everything about me is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain it. What's he saying by it's too lofty for me to attain it? I can't understand it. Of course we can understand it. What he's saying is, Not so much that we don't have a category for that, but the category we have can't contain it. It's so rich and full, it overflows whatever category parameters we have. Would you let 
this knowledge of God knowing everything about you and still saving you move you to worship? That's what it's designed for. There's therefore now no charge that can be brought which can separate you from Christ Jesus. He already knows everything you've done wrong. And therefore nothing can separate you from that love. Does not not make you want to worship. And I certainly hope it wants to, it takes root in you so that God's full knowledge of you not only makes you want to worship in here, but serve out there. I've mentioned this a number of times here in other churches. You know, my favorite uh, Broadway musical is Les Mis. And uh, you know the story there, right? Jean Valjean is a prisoner, and he finally gets out of prison. He has an encounter with a priest, and then he goes on to establish himself in a, a village where he creates a nice, successful factory, and he houses and cares for destitute people there and gives them a fair wage. They love Jean Valjean. He does some heroic acts of saving people. And one of the girls who's in there, Fontaine, uh, is dying. Uh, As he comes to her deathbed, she asks him to take care of her little cosette, which is with the evil innkeepers. He goes and pays the ransom for her and uh, pays dearly for it and takes care of her her whole life. And then when Marius gets tangled up in the revolution, he goes and saves Marius. So he's this unbelievable hero who serves everybody he comes in contact with. Now, the whole of his service hinges on what? The earlier scene with priest, right? But something unique about that, if you don't know the story, the thief is walking home a hundred miles without any money. He's starving. He knocks on the door of the priest. The priest takes him in, gives him a warm bath, a warm room, and a warm meal. And in thanks for that, later that night, Jean Valjean, desperate, takes the candlestick, the silver candlestick, and runs The gendarmes capture him, bring him back to the priest and say, all we need is one word from you and he will be condemned once again. Jean Valjean in the climactic scene says, my dear friend, in your haste to leave, you left the matching candlestick, which makes a beautiful pair. And he lets him go. So often we focus on the act. Wow, how kind that the priest would act that way. But there's something that's a precursor to the action. It's omniscience. The priest knew the whole story. He knew everything about the guilt of Jean Valjean. And with full knowledge, he still loved and equipped and sent Jean Valjean on his way. 
And in a sense, that's how we're supposed to function. The knowledge of God knowing everything about us. And he still made us his own. And went to the cross and died with full knowledge. Makes an impressive dying act even more impressive. Do you see how omniscience can spur you on to worship and service? Like in in addition, omniscience can help us in our suffering. If we had read all the way to verse 19, we see a little bit about what the overall context of this verse was. I'll read it for us. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. There's a group of men who somewhere in David's reign are out to get him, kill him, spread false lies about him, falsely accuse. And you know the story of David. Um, He needed comfort in this attack upon his character. Where was he going to get comfort? Well, he could possibly take comfort in his own abilities to seek justice and run down every false rumor about that the guys had spread about himself, right? Or he could entrust himself not to his own efforts at bringing knowledge to the whole. He could entrust himself to the omniscience of God to make all things right. Now, I'll speak to the unbeliever again for a minute. In our culture now, we're sadly uh, in a position where we have nothing to do. We have little recourse with the injustices that have been done to us. Uh, Children are taught to look over the whole record of their past and find out where they've been oppressed or victimized, right? And then do what? You go out and seek justice. You bring them before the tribunal, wherever it is. And you expose them, and you demand justice or reparations in some respect, or something worse, just revenge. And there are places where, when we've been wrong, we should seek justice. But the sad tale of our day is when people are taught to simply, if you want to be free, go seek those who have oppressed you and demand that they make things right. There's no end to the group of people who've oppressed you, right? Who've harmed you, who've hurt you, and you have to bear the weight. Okay, even if I get this one right, there's another one, and I've got to take action there, and I've got to get action. There's no peace to that. But there is peace when you come to the Lord Jesus Christ who can give peace in all of the different ways you have been oppressed. Sometimes you get it in this earth, but you will get it in the new heavens and the new earth because you have an all-seeing one who knows everything. There are no facts that he doesn't know. And so he can achieve for you a measure 
of perfect justice. Another reason to come to the Lord Jesus Christ, be crushed under the weight of you having to make everybody see how wronged you were, or entrust yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ who saw it all. How much freer you will be if you trust in the all-seeing one. What else do we have here? Well, we're first six verses focused on God's omniscience. The second six, seven through 12, really focus on the fact not only that God knows all of this, and perhaps to some degree, if he's out in heaven, well, he knows that, but he only sort of knows it from afar. David says, but it's not just that he knows it while he's way out there. He's right with us. The wonder of his omnipresence. That's what we see in verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. All right, you're literary experts now. What is he doing? He's using merisms again, right? If you didn't pick it up, verses 8 and 9, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are here. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, sunrise is where? The east. If I go to the far side of the sea, what sea would that be? In the land of Israel, the sea is the Mediterranean Sea. So it's on the far side of the Mediterranean Sea. It's as far as you can get to the west. Now, again, we're not just playing literary games here, but again, he's trying to bring some warmth and some richness to this so that indeed we'd be strengthened in our belief that the Lord is with us, just like the Apostle Paul was strengthened by what? He's in prison. Chapter 4, Philippians, he says what? Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? God know, God's out there. He knows theologically I'm in prison. That's not a whole lot of help, particularly at this point in time. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all because the Lord is near. His omnipresence is what we've got to hang on to when times are rough. My wife has a bad habit of humbling her husband who's theologically correct in <clears throat> most matters. You know, I can at times, you guys, many of you know me, I most of the time could look pretty calm and collected. Trust me on the inside, I'm churning. I'm like the duck paddling. I've got to take care of things or it'll all fall apart because this might happen or that might happen or this might happen. And at times, even at home, I, I bring that before my wife and she says, okay, yes, Sam, it might happen. But if it does happen, God's already there. <laughs> let's take a minute and let's just kind of 
do a little application here. Let's do a little macro where y'all are as a church. Don't have a pastor. Can't figure out how it's going to quite work. You know, you have the process, but even processes have their stumbling points. And where's your peace going to come from? Your peace is going to come from not that you know how it's all going to work out, but that he does. That's where your peace is going to come from. Not all the phone calls you can make, not all the networking you can do. And your peace will be as well from the fact that God is with you. He's with you whether or not you have a pastor. His presence. He's been with this church present at every point when it looked good on paper all the bills were getting paid and we had the new building and we're in the high growth section of town. He was with you there. But at other times when, you know, some things weren't quite as good, he's with you in both, both sections. My life has been a testimony to the fact that he leads me. He leadeth me. And he leadeth this congregation. So put your fears to rest. Whatever bad scenarios you can imagine, he's already there. And I believe, according to his scripture, you can have complete rest and trust that he will provide. How about your own individual life? Where have you been playing the what-if game? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if that happens? He's already there. Where do you need some hope? He's there. Where do you need some courage? You've got some things you don't want to face. So that's the last thing I want to... He's already there. And he already knows everything about that situation. You're beginning to see how we need to stop seeing God's omniscience as some terrifying thing whereby, oh God, he doesn't know everything about me. I, I did this one little sin. He's going to reject me. No, he knows it all. So just worship and serve him and draw comfort from him. You know, we all go looking when we're born into this world for best friends. Why do we do that? Because we all have this insatiable desire to be known. And where does that come from? Well, it comes in part from the fact that you're created in the image of God. The Trinity, right? It's one in three. At the very foundation of all reality, there's a tripartite relational being that wants to be, the Father wants to be known by the Son and the Spirit, and the Spirit wants to be known by the Son and the Father, and, and it just goes round and round and round. The Son says, Father, tell me more about your plan. And, and the Spirit, you're charged with applying that plan. Show us how it's going to work out. And, and they just get to rejoice in this work together of knowing the plan of salvation. 
you're brought into this world with a desperate desire to be known because you're created in the image of God. And you try it with the best friend, and sometimes they are pretty good at it, but they always fall short, don't they? So you go looking for a next best friend in junior high school or high school after you got burned somewhere along the line, and somebody who will know you and love you. And then you go through the high school years, and you get married hoping that one person will know you fully right and not reject you, and yet we've all experienced to some degree our spouses looking at us and maybe not outright rejecting us, but just backing off a little or as many times as we've been through it, they still don't understand me fully. This insatiable desire to be known is an echo of the fact that at one time in Eden, we were, we were fully known. God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day, right? And can you even imagine those conversations where Adam or Eve would share something and God would say, tell me more. Tell me more. Tell me more. And Eve and Adam, at least early, were satisfied that God knew everything and loved them perfectly. The whole thing fell apart, of course, through Adam and Eve's sin, but it can be put back together again through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you come to the point where you've said the only person that could ever truly love me is Jesus? Come this day. My friend Kevin Thumpston is a pastor up in um, Lexington, Columbia area. His church works with a lot of uh, down and out folks, some as much as homeless types, and they wander through the church and, you know, 90% of them just want a little cash or want a little food. And one day this fellow came in and Kevin got up and was expecting the you know, the proverbial, hey, if you could just help me with a little cash or a little food. And the guy said something very disturbing or very unusual, at least. He says, hey, I don't want a handout. I don't want any food. I don't want any money. Would someone just speak to me as if I was a human Now, what was that guy saying? At the very most obvious, I'm hurting. And the needs I have are so much more deep than what food can give me or a $20 bill in my pocket can give me. I'm starving to be listened to and known and still loved. God's done that for you. Our job as we face a hurting world is to listen and know and love like he did. 
Our listening, of course, isn't just to attach them to ourselves, but to attach them to the one who can perfectly listen, know, and love Jesus. That's what the world's dying for. You have it. Take it to this world. We pray. Father, thank you for the portion of scripture we've had today and trust that some insight has come into this room. We pray that it won't be a brief flicker, but it would burn brightly in us all. May we meditate just a little bit more on your omniscience and may it spur us to Worship and service and evangelize the lost. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.